Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. Thanks for joining me for our 30th episode of Beneath the Wing. Today's guest is Chief Master Sergeant Maurice Williams. Chief Williams is the Air National Guard Command Chief, meaning he works at the Pentagon with our top leaders representing all the enlisted airmen of the Air National Guard. He's also a fellow podcaster, hosting his own monthly, monthly session called 13 Ways to Lead. And most importantly, he's Gwendolyn's husband. So today we're live in location in Dallas. We're really looking forward to getting, know, getting to know our senior Air National Guard leader. Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Hey, well, thanks. It's a great opportunity to be here and uh, have this opportunity to share a little information. I'm absolutely thrilled to have you. So first off, if I'd never served in the military a day in my life, can you tell us what your role is in the Air National Guard? To explain it, I would say that I'm at the CEO level and I make sure the welfare and resources are provided for those who are in the company. And also part of my job is to help them to be better individuals for the company by developing them to be successful, and that's how the company would grow. How do you push that development piece in your role? Right. Well, I use several different, different avenues. Uh, one way is based on my position, I am the functional manager over the command chief, meaning that they, I provide guidance to them to operate in their roles. So I use them as a vessel because those command chiefs are connected to all the enlisted airmen within our Air National Guard. So I use them as a vessel, somewhat like being down here in Dallas as we're having this conference. I have a breakout with all the command chiefs to provide them information that we need to push out to the airmen. And also, too, I use social media platforms, which I'm a, I'm a dinosaur on, a, on, on social media. So, I, so my team is the ones that push me to get on social media, be more engaged in social media. Dinosaur in social media. Dinosaur. And I can totally relate to that. <laughs> Our, we're so fortunate to be surrounded by good airmen that know what they're doing with it, and they just probably kind of take a look and say, oh, chief, you'll understand here eventually. That is correct. <laughs> So I, I was going to ask you, when it comes to finding out more about Chief Williams, it's tough to find uh, going on to social media and mm -hmm. getting a good picture of who you are as a person, but also as our uh, senior enlisted leader. Um, is that by design, or is that just something you're, you're growing into? Uh, it's something uh, I'm growing into, I guess, because before this job, I never used social media. I started a Facebook page one time, but I just used it. I had some rental property that I was trying to advertise and use it through Facebook, and that was the only time I used Facebook. So I'm somewhat, somewhat of a dinosaur. I start uh, as in this position, have team members who utilize and keep the Facebook page up for the uh, Air National Guard and the dang and put stuff on there. And starting to use Instagram because I do reels for my podcast a month out before. And we, they, we do little short reels when we go to visit. They had to teach me how to do that. So 
Uh, I'm growing in it, but it just been never uh, was a social media person in the past. We, we can't push development of other people if we're not developing ourselves, right. can we? So let's talk about that. Let's, let's, uh, let's learn a little bit about your development because here we are, uh, you know, tail end of a career, mm -hmm. uh, and it's been good and healthy and strong, but we weren't this way when we first joined the military, right. were we? How did you get here? Um, what's your story for becoming an airman and then ending up as the top enlisted in the Air National Guard? Well, you know, I, I joined the Air National Guard. I joined right out of high school, never been in active duty. And the only way I learned about the Air National Guard was uh, I was in JRTC in high school, and one of the former classmates came back, and they had joined the Air National Guard, and, and he, got, he got up and briefed the class, and then that's the way I found out about it. And the intention for me was join, just uh, joining for, for school money. And from that point, I joined and enjoyed it and uh, continued to grow. But I grew up, I joined the Guard in, back in 1987. So back then, we was a strategic reserve. So my hopes when I joined the Guard, as I started, uh, got promoted up to E4, E5, was I hope I could retire to E7 because people never just retired out because people stayed in to 60 mm -hmm. back during that time. And then... When 9-11 hit, that's when we had a mass exodus of people getting out of our unit in the Air National Guard as I was a air reporter, 2T2, a logistics guy, and that's when people got out. And as I moved up in the rank, um, I saw an opportunity for me to uh, move up in the ranks, and I just uh, stayed ahead and doing my PME. And at that point, I made E8, and then it was not until... I made E9 that other people thought, hey, there may be an opportunity to make command chief. And that's kind of how it happened. I was a command chief for four and a half years, stayed command chief two years, and then went out to Kansas, went to another state, because I was, at that point, I wanted to pursue this opportunity to compete, and it gave me the opportunity to go to a state that had multiple wings. North Carolina only had one. Mm -hmm. And that gave me the scope of responsibility to lead more people. It takes a family to be in the Guard, and it takes a Guard yes. family to grow in the Guard. Yes. How was that move for you and your family when you decided, hey, there's good opportunity in Kansas. We're not going right. to be in North Carolina anymore. Right. Well, you know, it was sometimes we say time and hits perfect. So my wife, uh, Gwendolyn Williams, she is uh, she was she retired from the Army National Guard, and so she was an Army National. At that point, when I decided to pursue the opportunity in Kansas, she was retiring that year, and so uh, she had retired. And then a couple of months later, that's when I got selected for the position. And being that I know I was only going to go out there for three years, we was going to stay settled in North Carolina. She stayed there in North Carolina. I went out. I got an apartment that was fully furnished, and she would travel back and forth from Kansas to North Carolina. I'd meet me somewhere when I was traveling. I'd come out and stay a couple of weeks because mm -hmm. she had retired. And so that's kind of how we adjusted. And even from this point, uh, when I got to select for this job, so I left from there, got a little small U-Haul, throw my golf clubs and my clothes in there. That's all I had. It drove to D.C., and she does. She do the same thing there because in this position, I have a designated house, mm -hmm. so I know this is a term, and she travels back and forth to come out and meet me traveling. As a retired soldier, mm -hmm. does your wife ever look at you and say, you're way too soft? 
No, because she knows my personality. <laughs> I can't believe after a, a good and, and a healthy career and within a good and healthy marriage, one of you didn't recruit the other uh, over to the other side. But it, it sounds like there's good balance there. Yes. What, what do you do to stay connected when you're apart? Uh, uh, we, of course, uh, same routine every day, talking every day, and uh, just um, just make... We talk every day, you know, and uh, and um, she come up and uh, see me often as much as possible, meet out on trips. But staying connected, that communication part, that's the key, you know. Of course, you know, everything happened at the house when I'm not there, so uh, I have to figure out some ways to get some things done. But, yeah, but we've been doing it, uh, you know, now it's been uh, going on five years because I did three in Kansas. Now I'm approaching two years in this position. Right on. It's, uh, it's tough, and I, I had a uh, gentleman on um, who had a specific ritual with his kids every single day mm-hmm. he was deployed. Just They made a big chain out of paper, and every, time, every day he'd call home, mm-hmm. talk to his kids, and they'd take one of those chains off, and when they were all out of chains, Daddy was, Daddy was home. Right. We, we all kind of developed these rel- mm-hmm. rituals in our career to just kind of stay connected with our loved ones back right. home. Right. Um, so you told us a little bit about your story and uh, how it started all the way back in basic training mm-hmm. and that hey, you joined the Guard looking for college money. Mm-hmm. It's a great reason to join the Guard. Yes. But it, at, the end of, at the end of it, it, it changes who we are as human beings. Mm-hmm. We become a little bit better, talking about development. How has being an airman changed you from, to the better? If you think back about right. what young Mr. Williams was right, like when he joined right, the military. Right, right. How's it made well, you better? It's made me better because it's made me be more personable. So I was coming up, I was a real quiet guy. So as I rose up in the rank in the military and had to be over people and be engaged and even going to PME, uh, it made me be change my personality a little bit, be more engaging, especially uh, once I became you know, a senior NCO, being over people. And then as a chief, of course, it pushes you out there a little bit more. And definitely as a command chief, you know, you got to be more engaging to people and help change the personality. And also, it made me, I was a very uh, structured kid coming up. Um, I don't know how to design. Maybe that's just why I love the military so much, because of the structure and discipline. So it kind of fit my personality. So it made me grow in that way, uh, you know, to know how to complete tasks and be disciplined and structured and things. So it just helped me grow. And going out and traveling around the world, it's brought me as an individual, and I can have conversations about places what people, other people see on TV, but I can share my experiences in those places. I, I imagine that the, the high school you would never have dreamed of being in front of this huge group of people like you were this morning. No. Yeah. Would have never, no. Would have never thought of it. Best, best assertive training that we ever get is just standing in front of this huge group of people, and now we have to think right. of something good to say or have a little bit of something prepared. Right. It all comes into the head and mm-hmm. out the mouth at that time. Um, <clears throat> looking at the totality of a career, though, we all go through some hard times. Mm-hmm. Every airman struggles. Right. And, right. and sometimes those struggles are real, real difficult, and they bury it inside, mm-hmm. and they just struggle through. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times they lean on their guard family. Have you ever had a time in your career where you really had to lean on your guard family just to get through something tough? Yes, you know, um, 
just really, I can tell you as a young airman, um, E E three, E four, and some E five time. When I was a girl, like I said, I came in doing a, when it was a strategic reserve, and I could come to drill, and sometimes somebody would notice I'm there, and sometimes not. And so it was it was a time period in there. I would come to drill, check in, leave leave the base, come back again, and you know I was at the point where I was so frustrated because. I was fired up when I come in, and hey, I'm ready to do things, but you know, so many people, nothing to do, uh, nothing for me to be engaged in, you know. And I had to, at that time talked to um, my supervisor at the time and my chief, and about three different people because I was going to get out get out of the guard at that time. So I had to lean on them. They had to, hey, hey, okay, we're going to change, move you to a different section, make sure you're engaged. So. Early on in my career, I had to lean on people, and these are individuals that I had just met, but but some of them, they saw, you know, the energy I had, I was engaged in it, because I came out of JRTC, so I'm fired up, think I'm going to military and firing up, so I was at a low point that time in my career uh, that uh, when I was, thought about getting out then, too, at you that time. You still stay in touch with those two? Yes, still yeah. stay in contact with all of them, yes. You know, kept built that relationship throughout there. They retired, but still stay in contact, text, email, call. Yes. I'll bet they're some of your biggest cheerleaders in life. Oh, yeah. I imagine oh, yeah. they're awfully proud of their, their airmen that That's they helped right. grow yeah, and develop, you know. right? <laughs> <laughs> Standing on the shoulders of giants yeah. like that. Well, airmen, that, hey, didn't even want to come to drill. Come in, check in. I'm here to leave. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've all had those. Oh, yeah. That's that's. Uh, a good professional lesson to learn in that, but it also teaches you a little bit personally about yeah. how to handle airmen that now you end up becoming yes. in charge. So I'm thinking at, at some point you become that staff sergeant, tech sergeant, and you say, hey, here's your airmen, and you're responsible for developing them. Did you have to go through some of those hard times with your airmen? Yes, I did. Um, you know, um, had to get down, and, and what I would do, I would, I would share with them my story of, you know, during that time period, so I would try to do things differently to make sure they was engaged. Uh, sometimes some of them have, because I had uh, a lot of young airmen who was in college struggling, you know, uh, with schooling. So I said, "Hey, this is your, this is some paycheck. You got to come to drill. This is part of that pay that can help you with college. You know, even though you're getting a little tuition assistance, but it seemed like that's not our pay. You know, I sit down and show them how to balance money too, because they were away from home." They was they joined the unit because it was where the college was at, and so they was actually away from home. And so I know uh, of two uh, that I definitely did that uh, directly with, and even they went on to go to Plon. I recommend they go on to Plon. I said, think about this: if you take this time and miss this semester, I said it'll help you get financially stable, and you'll be graduating the following year. Get caught up, and you're gonna leave with no debt, and some of your friends will have debt. It is a big perk right. in the guard to have that college money, but the bigger perk is having those folks that have been there, done that, mm -hmm. seen that, lived through it, and just have that extra time to coach our, our youngest that are coming mm -hmm. along, along in the ranks, and they pass that forward. That's right. That's right. It's been a tough year in the tough couple of years in the guard, and yes. it's been fun here in Dallas to actually be face-to-face -face with folks, have conversation, um, but we've all lived through a really, really tough, mm -hmm. tough two years. And 
the 133rds in Minnesota, right, right in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area. Um, you became the um, command chief for our Air Guard right in the midst of COVID, October 2020, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's also right after the summer George Floyd was killed on our mm -hmm. streets in Minneapolis. And that sparked mass protest um, across the country. Um, in my state, 100% of the National Guard got mobilized. Wow. And yeah. our airmen showed up just like that. Uh, they were thrilled to be with each other, but they were also thrilled to be there for a purpose and a mm -hmm. cause. Um, beyond the military's involvement, we've started to engage in difficult conversations about race, mm -hmm. extremism in our military, and how people's perspectives have changed. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to relationships that we have with one another and being a mission-effective, diverse group, what, what's the best way to start that conversation? I don't come from the same background that you do. Right, right. And so sometimes it's hard um, for me to just feel comfortable starting a difficult conversation just to gain perspective. Right. Talk me through that. Well, I think one of the things uh, would be is uh, I would always start off with, hey, we're going to have an uncomfortable conversation, but it's going to make us comfortable on the back end, you know. And I say I would share my experiences, my life experiences, and the things that I've experienced to get you to get an understanding on, hey, this is, and I don't have to do anything from it, do anything for it, but based on, uh, hey, my race, uh, my gender, this is the way I'm going to be treated differently from someone else. I say we must be honest with it, honest about it, but even if you hadn't experienced it, you won't because you may look different, uh, be another gender, or whatever the case may be. And I think we got to be conscientious of that, you know, and be receptive because it's, it's people's reality and how they feel. But, you know, we got to be open to it and listen, and it makes you think a different way if you just be open to it and listen. Not that, because I'm not going to combat it and say, hey, it didn't happen to you because, hey, that's your life experience. You could tell me things is your life experience. My life is different, but we got to be open to it and say, hey, it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation to get comfortable because it may be, you may think that, man, nothing like that could happen. I may think, man, how could something like that happen to you? But it's happened, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that's where we need to start and say, hey, it's going to make us a little uncomfortable, but we got to do this to get comfortable. That there is a relationship that's formed in a conversation right. and starting from a place of trust where you can say, hey, we're going to have a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. Or if I ask, are you comfortable having that a difficult right, conversation right. with me because I'm curious and I want to know more. Right. Um, it was an incredibly frustrating and, and just heart-wrenching time in Minnesota for mm -hmm. us. Um, but I think we worked hard to grow through that. I had an excellent conversation with one of our squadron commanders who had been through uh, some terrible discrimination in his mm -hmm. life, and just having that conversation with him gave me a more clear perspective uh, and a higher degree of sensitivity, which it's uh, it's hard hard to develop, but you have to be open right. to receiving. Yes, yes, yeah. you got to be open and to receive it and, and uh, be respectful of people's experiences. You know, just because you had an experience, that don't mean it does. It wouldn't happen. It hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, in the Guard, we serve our communities, mm -hmm. and we serve within the communities that um, 
their, where our bases are located, the states where our bases are located. And when it comes to diversifying the force, mm -hmm. um, it's been called a force multiplier, which mm -hmm. I, I believe. When we get our airmen in the door, keeping them is a big priority. Right. Are we getting the idea of inclusion right in the military, especially in the Air National Guard? I think we, have, we still have some challenges ahead. Um, because I don't think we would still be talking about it if we didn't. And as we continue to look at initiatives and programs to increase that inclusiveness in the Guard and that diversity, I don't think we're getting it right yet. Um, and we got to, one thing I always say, we must be intentional about doing it uh, when we do things. We can't say it and not have any action behind it and be intentional about getting to that point. So I think we still got some growing, well, I know we still have some growing to do as we're looking at it because uh, within some of the communities uh, across the Air National Guard that you think where it's a diverse community, but when I go to the wings, the wings is not that diverse. It's very true. Yeah. What is intentional? What does getting it right look like to you? Uh, getting it right look like looks like to me is starting with your recruiters which you have a diverse recruiting force. Because naturally in sync, diverse, if you got a diverse recruiting uh, team, they're going to recruit from where they come from. It's easy, accessible, and those are the individuals there. They are around, and other individuals see them in a uniform and they ask more questions. So it's very diverse. I've seen this, I saw this happen in North Carolina. Um, with the recruiting team there in North Carolina where we had a young man, he was from the um, uh, continent of Africa, I forget, forget which particular country, but when he became a recruiter, he bought, based on the community that he lived in and the individuals that was in his community, he brought in a whole different group of individuals that we wasn't getting there for. And a majority of them, not just a minority, but from the continent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Africa too. So I think when we have that diverse group um, in recruiting, that that will get that diverse group there. But then once they get in, we got to treat them with dignity and respect and keep a culture where they want to stay. That is the trick and the challenge <laughs> that we're trying to teach our, teach our new leaders, that our yeah. up-and-coming leaders, is how do we keep and retain and motivate these, uh, these new airmen who Mm -hmm. They were like you when you came in, yeah. you know, all fired up from JROTC, yeah. and they want to do the country's business. Yeah. And uh, keeping them motivated, that's mm -hmm. that's the trick. So what's the trick to keeping them motivated? I think we got to find out um, what their, I always use the term, hey, what their gift is. If we understand what their gift is, we can place them in positions for them to grow. I always use this term, hey, everybody have a success seed. As a, as a leader, when we see that success seed, we water that success seed by giving them opportunity. We fertilize that success seed by motivating and inspiring them because of what they're doing with that success seed. Mm -hmm. So that's why I look at it. It's a great way of putting it, especially in the springtime where people really want to be out plants. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm one of them, so I totally understand. Mm -hmm. But nurturing the gifts of our, of our airmen mm -hmm. comes first with the ability to recognize those gifts, right. seeing where they can fit in mm -hmm. and plug. Because um, one of the 
most exciting things about this new generation coming in is, hey, they're really motivated for a cause. Mm -hmm. And they, they have a lot of gifts and talents. As a, as a group, they leverage that. Right. We've seen that. So it's, I'm glad to hear you say that, uh, recognizing their gifts, getting them motivated mm -hmm. in that, keeping them plugged in. It's not just about the college benefits right. that they're coming in for. Anymore. Right. Um, let me reint reintroduce you. Then we're going to take a quick break. I've been okay. speaking with the 13th Command Chief of the Air National Guard, Chief Maurice Williams. Um, Team 13 has a really special, special message for you during our break. So we're going to take that and then we will be right back. Hello everyone, my name is Master Sergeant Brittany Ingram. I work for the 13th Command Chief of the Air National Guard, Chief Master Sergeant Maurice Williams. I just want to take the time today to tell you about the 13 Ways to Lead podcast. The next podcast will, re will be released on the 13th of May and it will be leading by upholding standards. Upholding standards mean the culture of any organization is shaped by the worst behavior the leader is willing to tolerate. We have a special guest, which will be Command Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Reserve Command, Chief Master Sergeant Timothy White, and he's gonna give us his perspective on leading by upholding standards. You can tune into the 13 Ways to Lead podcast by Spotify, Apple, or Divots, Again, that podcast will be released on the 13th of May, 2022, and it will have Chief Master Sergeant Timothy White, the Command Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force Reserve Command, and you can seek that podcast via Spotify, Apple, and Divots. Have a great day. I've been speaking with Chief Master Sergeant Maurice Williams the Air National Guard Command Chief, and thanks for that uh, special message from Team 13. I do hope that you take the next opportunity to join him on 13 Ways to Lead, because it's a great podcast. Um, hey, we've talked a little bit about your family and being separated a lot. Uh, what refreshes your soul? When you take the uniform off at the end of the day, how do you recharge your batteries? How do you refresh your soul? One of the things I like to do, I like to go out and play golf. Um, that is uh, something I enjoy. Takes my mind off the job, give me a little energy, and that's one of the things that I like to do is uh, play golf. You know, that's that's it for me. Best place to golf. Yeah, best the best thing for me to be doing. Now you know I do one thing that is a stress reliever for me, like uh, big conferences like this, or when I'm going out to wing visits. I like to get up early that morning and go get a run in. It gives me time to think. It refreshes my body. I come back and that get me rejuvenated. Uh, you and I had barbecue last night. Not together. You were in mm -hmm. a big group. I was in my right. big group. Is it hard to get up the day after a, a good meat fest like that and go for a run? It is. Uh, well, not challenging for me. Right. And the reason why is I try not to eat heavy uh, because I know uh, I got a full day that day. And so I try to uh, be a little disciplined not to do it. Now, sometimes I'll have a little drink, but I only have one or two at the max because I know I'm going to get up in that morning because I don't want to get out there and run and be de dehydrated. Yes, definitely. Um, you get to travel a lot. Mm -hmm. And with this job, you get to listen to a lot of airmen. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the best piece of advice you've gotten from an airman? Uh, best piece of advice I got from an airman is... Uh, what social media platforms to use and what to put on there. Short, you know, things that are short, things that airmen can get to know me 
so that's what some of the best advice I've I've gotten out there because I always, you know, because like I said before, I'm a dinosaur, so mm -hmm. that is helping me grow right there in that area. And my team, we share that information, and uh, it, it helps me learn how they think and what they like to view. Yeah. it's. Uh, I'm sure it's tough to get out and listen to a lot of airmen out mm -hmm. there. Uh, is that what recharges your battery? Would you consider yourself a, an introvert who has to go off and be by themselves, play a little golf, go for yes. a run? Yes, I would. I would consider myself to be an introvert. Um, you know, but what recharges me is uh, the be one of the, some of the best parts of uh, doing my wing visits. When I sit down and eat lunch with airmen, uh, you know, I like to uh, make them be at ease. And, man, we had the best conversations, yeah. uh, you know, around the table there. Um, we were talking during the break uh, a little bit about when before you really got into the full-time gig, you mm -hmm. were bouncing school, mm -hmm. um, working in a auto parts mm -hmm. store, and you know life in general. Mm -hmm. um, how did you work to find balance at that young age, balancing all three of those things? And does that allow you to be a little bit more empathetic with our young folks that are coming in that are they're balancing a side hustle, a main hustle, a guard career, right. and school? Yes, uh, it, it do make me be more empathetic. But also, too, I tell them, hey, if you want to be successful, you got to be willing to do what the unsuccessful people are not doing. And that's that extra work and drive. But you got to pace yourself and balance and stay focused on it to get to that point. Um, and it's very challenging, but you got to prioritize it. And one of the things I had to learn in this job, don't manage my time, manage my energy. It's harder and harder as we get older yes. and older, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I look at these uh, the young airmen that we're starting to bring into the Air National Guard, mm -hmm. and they're motivated, energetic. They don't have to manage their energy. They got right. limitless, um, and just so talented. Uh, do you think that seeing what we have coming in, the talent that we have coming into the guard, how competitive would you have been with those those wow. types of airmen that we're getting now? I wouldn't have been able to compete because they're coming in, they're so much smarter because, you know, it's more access to education now. And you take some airmen, hey, they're starting their, they're finishing associate degrees when they finish high school now. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we have some airmen that are going, they go to um, take uh, high school courses and college courses. And the access to information and what they receive in and the different things they can get on their phone now, all that information makes their education higher and you know it'll make them a lot more competitive as just as individuals yeah so you challenged yourself a little later mm -hmm. in your career uh, by going and achieving your degree a hundred percent online yes both yeah. a bachelor's and a master's well uh, I yeah my bachelor's and master's but my associate degree I was going to and in a brick and mortar school, uh, community college there, and it was tough on me. So at that time, I transitioned. I got into logistics, so I was driving a truck, and so I drove at night. So I would go in. Um, time would be at ten o'clock at night, and I'd get back in maybe eight o'clock in the morning. So I would lay down for a couple of hours, and then I would hope go to class. I had to be at class around uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, so I would get up about two be in class and stay in class, not leaving there, go straight to work and do homework in the break room before I go out and drive again. Mm. So 
I went off to uh, NCO Academy and I did an outstanding job in NCO Academy. That gave me the boost to uh, jump back in school and that's when I finished my associate degree. And then I, I had a break in between there and then I started back with my bachelor's and completed my bachelor's and uh, did not take a break in between there. I just they went straight on into my master's. Straight in. Business mm -hmm. administration, if I'm yes. right. Mm -hmm. yeah. Was it hard to go back and start learning? Because you were online. Yes. Learning a new way of learning. It was very challenging. Very challenging for mm -hmm. me. It was tough. So, but, uh, I mean, because Eva, I tell you something very simple. And some people may still do it. Uh, if, when I would have to write a paper, when I first started, I would have to write it out on paper. I could not go in and have my thoughts and type a paper out. But as I did it more at the first couple of classes, then I was able to progress and, and get into a routine, so, and get study habits down, find out where was my best place for me to um, keep, stay focused in the house. Small things like that mm -hmm. to help me get started. Habits of learning. Yes. Absolutely. Um, back to the guard. Uh, this past year, well, the National Guard it had this historic participation mm -hmm. in um, directly defending the Constitution, uh, protecting a peaceful transfer of power during the inauguration. Mm -hmm. And you're in D.C. Mm -hmm. I assume you were still in the D.C. area yes. during, that, yes. during that time. Um, the Air National Guard had a huge part to play, mm -hmm. just a historic amount of airlift, getting soldiers and airmen out mm -hmm. uh, to D.C. to protect that. What was it like for you? as the senior enlisted person for the Air National Guard to watch that happen, interact with the airmen, um, and just see all of this work developing these people come together and just explode in this mission and have it all come through peacefully, quietly, and then everybody return to Right, right. You know, uh, it was, it was, uh, it wasn't shocking to me. I know we could do it, but not, seen it before, having seen it before, it was amazing. You know, it felt, it made me feel good that, hey, this is this domestic uh, mission that we have and we're doing it and we're doing it at this level. I mean, uh, on January the 20th, uh, in our nation capital, we had 27,000, so total 27,000 soldiers there. And out of that, uh, about six to, about 3,000 of them were airmen and 1,600 were those defenders. So me and boss, we got out, uh, we, uh, when the aircraft started coming in, we was out there meeting the aircraft, uh, greeting everyone coming into D.C. Uh, we went out there and walked the, walked the grounds around the Capitol and the different locations and met with airmen, uh, and it was great. It mm -hmm. was great. It was a sense of, uh, sense of pride, a uh, sense of, because seeing that we could do a big-scale mission like this within, within the United States, because we've only did, yeah. hours. Yeah, we've only did this, you know, this large scale like this federally on other soils, but not right here. Right. So it was, it was, uh, it was great. What did you hear from the airmen when you were out walking around? You know, that was great. It was, they was excited about being able to participate. Um, now they say they didn't know what to expect, but they was excited about being able to participate. Um, you know, and not as I talk with them, because you got to. It, some of those uh, locations out there, it was 24 hours, and it was cold outside, but they was out there, you know, doing rotating out to get heated up. But, you know, they was very proud of what they was doing. Mm -hmm. We had the opportunity. I was out 
in DC as well uh, with the Minnesota contingent mm -hmm. and uh, one of the task forces. And we went to a park where we had a bunch of soldiers and airmen from Illinois mm -hmm. and they were staging there and it was a park. And mothers were coming up with their kids and saying, you know, asking soldiers and airmen, would, would you, could we just take a picture together? Right, yeah. The people of DC, um, we're so appreciative and so thankful to have our folks there and, and on the ground. Uh, after that big operation, did you get any feedback from the city where you spend the most amount of your time? Yeah, uh, very appreciative. Same thing uh, as I went around to uh, doing that time, different events. Uh, people were very appreciative. You got to realize, you know, a lot of the um, office buildings down there, they opened up to the military to to lodge and to set up command posts and uh, whatever access we needed. So that right there was appreciation of it. And, you know, of course, uh, going through some of those, seeing a lot of congressmen and senators and was very appreciative. You yeah. know? And just the community, too. Uh, like I say, walking around in uniform, hey, thanks for what y'all are doing. You know, hey, feel so much better here, you know. Uh, so we got those type responses. It it was a uh, a terrible thing that we had to do, but it was done so well. Right, yeah. right. I must agree. Absolutely. Okay, let's get to know you a little bit better. Okay. We, we play a little game called Quick Answer on okay. the second part of the podcast. So there's rules, and I'm glad you're not an engineer because an engineer that I interviewed just had to think about everything and analyze it. <laughs> it's like first thing that comes to mind, okay? Right. Um, are you a cat or a dog person? Dog. Favorite food from your childhood? Uh, candy yams. Best thing about living in D.C.? Events. Movie that made you cry? Remember the Titans. Yeah. Most famous person you've met? Um... President Obama. Place on earth you'd most like to spend a whole month without phones or computers? Um, Puerto Rico. Snoop Dogg, George Clinton, or George Jones? George Clinton. UNC or Duke? UNC. I am so impressed with your answer about <laughs> George Clinton. <laughs> Not a big sports guy, but that impressed me. So let's talk about George Clinton. Mm -hmm. Hometown guy, Kannapolis, mm -hmm. North Carolina is mm -hmm. where he, he grew up. Famously, for people that don't know, he was a famous leader of a funk band called Parliament mm -hmm. and Funkadelic mm -hmm. and a couple others. And one of their more famous songs was Atomic Dog. Atomic Dog. Do you yep. want to sing it? Atomic Dog. Nice. It got sampled by Snoop yep. a couple decades mm -hmm. later. In fact, Snoop... Uh, Sampled a bunch of George Clinton's work. So sampling is like, it's better than imitation. It's like the best form of flattery. Right. You got something that I really want to copy and borrow and make, make a little better. Mm -hmm. So let's just say, here's your drinking question. Jack and Coke, right? Jack and Coke. As a North Carolina guy, we'll just call it Pepsi because Pepsi comes from North Carolina too. Mm -hmm. um, you're having a Jack and Pepsi with George Clinton and you're talking about people sampling your work, mm -hmm. what would you say you would be most proud of if somebody took something that you came up with, sampled it, and made it better? Um, I would say um, Singing and Song Enhancement Course. All right, tell me about that. And Singing and Song Enhancement Course is a course for E7s, E8, to try to empower them and educate them 
before they become an E9, but get them to think strategically. And it's the course I started when I got in a position because I always tell uh, individuals, hey, get an airman what you needed when you was airman. So if someone could sample that and use it as much as possible, I would be very proud because I know they would be affecting people at a lower level. Yeah. Ten years from now, that course is still going to be around and completely different. Well, do, you, do you hope for that? I do hope for that because hopefully it. I want it to evolve, not stay the same. Because ten years from now, uh, things will be different and it needs to be relevant with the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimate so- form of sampling, right? That's right. Take something That's right. make it a little bit better. That's right. I'm impressed, George Clinton. Thanks, not, <laughs> thanks for not being a George Jones fan. No offense to any country fans out there, but yeah, I'm, I'm right with you. They were playing, okay, so the seminar that we're in uh, this afternoon, they bring everybody back to music. Mm-hmm. And I am an Earth, Wind, and Fire guy. So when they started playing Earth, Wind, and Fire, I went to see them in concert. They were in the Twin Cities. There's still three of the original guys mm-hmm. left uh, when they came. And I'll tell you what a great band. Yeah, yeah. What great music. Yeah. Great band, great music, original music. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so that that brings us back to the the good old days when music was a little bit more right. than it is now. And you know, back in high school, you had to have a favorite high school teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what's one? Who's one high school teacher you most want to share your career success story with? I think it would be a, a JRTC uh, instructor I had. Um, he was uh, a JRTC instructor when I was in the ninth and 10th grade. Uh, he was a senior master sergeant, and he ended up going to another high school. I saw him. Uh, he came out to the our Air National Guard base because the Air National Guard base was only a couple of miles from the school. But at that time, I think I may have been um, maybe E7 E7 around that time when he came out there, but uh, I think that was because he, he was a he was a disciplinarian, but he had a, a lot of confidence in me and put me in positions, and so uh, that would be the person I think I would like to share that still with. Still around? Still, still around, right. still around. I just had hadn't he moved he moved away from North Carolina. He moved out of North Carolina, so okay, yeah. Is North Carolina going to be where you settle? Yes, yes. Not a bad place to be. The no. weather's better than Minnesota, I'm going to tell you that. Oh, right yeah, now. yeah. I don't understand why people stay in those areas like <laughs> Minnesota. <laughs> For some odd reason, we think it develops character. Mm. I'm still, you know, wondering about that. Um, hey, what's the, what's the biggest challenge you think our newest members are going to face in the next five years? Uh, the biggest challenge uh, I think they will face is... Um, Learning to think strategically, meaning understanding, continue to understand the adversary and being able to um, operate at a higher level, not equating that level to their rank. Because I think they need to, you're going to have to operate a little higher than whatever, like the E5, you're going to have to operate like an E6 or E7. Because I think things are going to advance so much based on technology in the future fight. And we need to stay in tune with that. So um, I think the airmen, as they grow into it, it's going to be, have to be a constant evolving change. We will get there, but I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. Yeah, I think you, I think because we like so we like uh, technology so much. Everything is technology based, 
and we share so much information to our competitors, and it's easy for them to get that information. So I think it's gonna that's gonna be the challenge. Our new airmen, starting in January, I think, if I'm recalling my mm -hmm. brief right, are gonna get nothing but electronic communication when they get to basic training. That is correct. So gone yep. are the books, and they yep. get an iPad. They're comfortable with that. Yes, yes. This, this new generation coming mm -hmm. in is, is comfortable with that uh, level of communication, that way of learning. Mm -hmm. What gives you the most hope about the Air National Guard for the future? The most hope is um, that as we uh, look at these new platforms that we're getting, the F-35, F the F-15X, and the new missions we're taking on on cyber, that's what gives me hope, because that's what we're going to need for that future fight. Those uh, fifth-gen aircraft to give us air superiority and um, those cyber units to keep us uh, to combat cyber threats that we're getting now. It's an exciting time. Yes, yes. Real exciting time. And the, these people that are coming in to replace us, They've got it going on. They're going to figure that's right. stuff out. That's right. <laughs> so much better than we. They're going to sample the work that we did. That's right. And make it a whole lot better. Mm -hmm. um, Chief Maurice Williams, thanks for spending some time with us beneath the wing. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate it. It's been a great pleasure, and especially on our 30th episode. Um, in fact, if I'm ever looking for a fill-in host, I hope you'd uh, consider that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Awesome. Definitely. Um, for those of you that listen to Beneath the Wing for the first time, I hope you catch our next episode where I'm going to be featuring one of our wing's outstanding airmen and their story of strength and success. Otherwise, I encourage you, as we did during our commercial break, to tune in to 13 Ways to Lead with Chief Williams. Do you want to give a promo on that one and tell them what the next episode is? Yes, well, um, the next episode will be episode five. Um, that'll be with the director of the Air National Guard, my boss. He will be on episode five, and he'll talk, talk about leading strategically and deliberately. Perfect. So, uh, yeah, I'll have him on the episode, and uh, we'll um, talk on some things. He'll talk about his background and his um, some of the things that he experienced and how he had to think and lead uh, being deliberate. Sounds fantastic. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks again for joining us on Beneath the Wing. All right.